Amen. Thank you, Robin. Great song, great thought. Great goal in life, amen? By the way, everybody's watching what you're doing. They are going to find something. I hope, by the grace of God, we leave a testimony for Christ. Amen? amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 730, Matthew chapter 28. For several months now on Sunday mornings, we have been talking about things Jesus said exclusively to his disciples. Now on occasion, he spoke only to unsaved people. Some listened to learn. Others listened to find fault. Uh, most of the time he spoke to a crowd that was a mixture of those who did not believe with his disciples, but on occasion he spoke only to those who already believed. He spoke to his disciples and they were already uh, believers. They wanted to learn of him. In fact, the word disciple means learner. And though the primary purpose of Jesus coming the first time was to seek and to save that which was lost, he spent some of his time uh, teaching his disciples. And we have been focused on those things for the last, there's something biting me, uh, for the last few months and some Sunday morning. You know, there's a lot of stuff in here. <laughs> you know, I mean, people have worked hours and hours and hours, a lot of little things that still need to be tweaked. I, we have a, two baptisms tonight. Uh, I came in yesterday morning early to practice filling the baptistry and learned that it took four and a half hours to fill it two-thirds of the way. And so this morning, last night, then I decided, well, I'm not going to empty it. I'm going to just get the last third in the morning. This morning when I came in, I found out that it leaks. And we only had four or five inches of water in it this morning. Uh, but it's got water in it now, amen, so we're still good to go. But there's a lot of things we're working through. And uh, so please uh, be patient as we do that. And I think I echo the, ver the attitude of, most of the people here, as a disciple of Jesus, I want to know what he had to say to me. He's a changeless Savior. Hebrews says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so you can mark it down. If the circumstances are the same, whatever he said then, he would say to us today still. And last week we talked about Jesus telling his disciples that if he went away, that he would come again. And it was a great encouragement to learn that Jesus was coming back after leaving them, and that when he did so, they would be with him forever. And we rejoice together in the blessed hope of Christ's return. And we talked about the importance of practically applying that, in that you and I should be watching for his return. We should be ready for his return. We should be doing what he left us here to do, because when he returns, those disciples that he finds, quote, so doing will be specially rewarded by him. Now this morning we are going to move from things Jesus said exclusively to his disciples on his last night with him to a different time when he spoke exclusively to his disciples. And our world, as we begin to th think about the thought I want to leave with you this morning, our world and our culture has a lot of opinions and ideas about what churches and Christians should be focused on doing. In fact, Christian people have a lot of opinions on what churches and Christians should be focused on doing. But whether we want to admit it or not, 
uh, it is very easy for any one of us who knows the Lord to get focused on our own agenda for the Lord's church. I'm not talking about this morning specifically, though I will another time somewhat soon. Uh, The church we attend is not really our church. We talk about it like that. I don't think that's wrong. But calling this our church, it feeds the idea that you and I get to decide what the focus of the church should be. You see, we're rejoicing this morning uh, in the victory God has given to us in being able to build and move into a new auditorium. By the way, there's a lot of Christian people have never experienced that even one time. And by the grace of God, now we've experienced this here twice. But I hope everyone here understands we're not here to build buildings. We do need a place to assemble and do ministry, but we're not here to do building to, to build buildings. That's not our focus. There's a story told about a bride who was very nervous on her wedding day, and she wasn't even sure that she could walk down the aisle. Her father, though, pulled her aside, and he gave her some advice. He said, honey, there are only three things you need to focus on. If you focus on these three things, you'll be fine. He said the first is walking down the aisle. Just focus on walking down the aisle. Don't pay any attention to the people next to you. I know the aisle will seem long, but just focus on walking down the aisle. He said, next, I want you to focus on the altar. It is your destination. Make your way down the aisle to the altar, and there you'll stand before God with a man you love, and you will make vows to God and to him, focus on the altar. And he said, honey, lastly, he said, I want you to focus on the hymn right before your vows. Listen to it. In poetry and song, that hymn will embody uh, God's love for you through Christ, your love for your husband and his love for you. It will really help you if you focus on these three things, walking down the aisle, standing before the altar, and listening to the hymn. Young lady was really thankful for her dad. It comforted her. It calmed her down. And shortly thereafter, she uh, began to walk down the aisle as family and friends watched. And they noticed she had a look of calm on her face. But as she went by them, she was saying three words that make, made them smile. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. You see, what we focus on makes a big difference. What did Jesus have to say exclusively to his disciples? If you would stand this morning, please, in honor of the word of God, if you are able to stand, go and teach all nations. Go and teach all nations. Matthew chapter 28, we begin in verse 16 which says these words, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Thank you. You might be seated. 
And we're not told exactly how long after the resurrection of Jesus this story takes place, but it does tell us where it took place. A mountain in Galilee, in verse 16, the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Now, we don't know when, but we do know who. The audience was the 11 apostles, those specific disciples. And Jesus, after his resurrection, did not spend much time physically with his disciples, though he did spend some. Uh, But he spent that 40 days. He would occasionally meet with them, but not very often because he was transitioning them from a time when he would be with them physically, like he had been for three to three and a half years, to a time when their relationship with him would be through the Holy Spirit. And as I said, we don't know exactly when this occurred, but it wasn't Jesus' last day. His last day, he ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives just outside Jerusalem. And so we don't know exactly when this was, but it was sometime during those 40 days, but not his last day with them. Though this was not his last time with them before his ascension, because he did not spend a lot of time with them after his resurrection physically, it was a very significant moment for them. In fact, we should find it as no surprise that Jesus had appointed a place and a time for them to assemble. Though not so much in our society today, Jesus highly values his disciples assembling. And it's also no surprise that when they did assemble, they worshipped him, but their hearts had both faith and doubt in them. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You see, they didn't doubt whether he was alive or that it was him who had been resurrected. He had shown himself alive by many infallible proofs. They had saw him, they heard him, they touched him, they watched him with their own eyes, they heard him with their own ears, they had food and drink together. But they did have a lot of doubt about what would happen next. In fact, he had warned them that he was going away but would come again, and so they wondered and they doubted what would happen next with him gone and them still there. They had a lot of doubts about the opposition they would face. The Pharisees and the Jewish government, they hadn't changed their opinion about Jesus of Nazareth because of his resurrection. The same people who had uh, voted and orchestrated his death, they still hated him and they still hated his disciples. They had a lot of doubts of what would happen. By the way, I hope you understand this morning that Faith never exists without the presence of doubt. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is there's a part of us inside that wants to believe and act in what God says to be true. And then there's another part inside of us that says, you know what, I want to act and do and what I want to do. And I don't really believe what God says. And faith is when we choose to act on what God says to be true. Jesus had a plan for them, a command, a task that he was going to leave them to take care of. It was a God-sized task. And so as a foundation for the command he was about to give, Jesus reminded them of the authority his father had given him. In verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That's why verse 19 says, Go ye therefore... 
That therefore, with the command we're going to talk about in a moment, is linked with what he said in verse 18. Because his father had given all power in heaven and earth, he was going to give them this task. Now, whenever you and I read the word power in our Bible, there are two kinds of power. There is an authority kind of power, and then there is a raw kind of power, a dynamite kind of power. This here in particular is the authority kind of power. And Jesus says, I have authority over everything. All power has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Hebrew, when I say he has authority over Satan like the creator has authority over the creature. He has authority over angels and cherubim and seraphim and men, both in heaven and in earth. It is Jesus who has the keys to both death and hell. He is the door to the sheep. It is through him that people live forever and find their way into the flock of God. There is no name that is above his name. There is no power above his power. And when he chooses to act, there is nothing or no person or creature that can hinder him. When he chooses to speak, there is none that can contradict him and succeed. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But because Jesus was meek and gentle, most people today especially think they can push him around. They think they get to decide what he thinks or what he wants them to do. They think he bends his will and his plans for their will and their plans. But I would say to you this morning, do not mistake the meekness of Jesus for weakness. And because he has this authority, he commands and he establishes the primary purpose for his churches. The primary purpose for his work In our world, and we read it in verse 19 and 20, he says, Go ye therefore, because I have all power in heaven and earth, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Among the things Jesus did when he came the first time was to start and establish the first church. He was the first pastor. His apostles were the first members and joined by at least 488 other people who believed and were baptized. This is why when we read in Acts chapter 2 following the day of Pentecost, those who believed Peter's message that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and that he was alive again and they obeyed him in baptism. That's why it says there were added unto them, unto them 3,000 souls. This section of the scripture we just read is sometimes called the Great Commission. And this commission is the focus and primary marching orders for the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many things Jesus intends for his churches to do and be, but this commission is Christ's desire for our focus. Of course, the church is supposed to be a place of fellowship and love for one another, and our love for one another is the primary mark that we're disciples of Jesus, but the focus of what the church does is not fellowship. Of course, the church is a place where our Creator is worshipped, 
where His people reverently bow down to the Lord our God and we focus on worshiping Him in spirit and truth, but worship is not our focus despite what's going on in American Christianity today. Of course, the church should care about what's going on politically and socially around us, but we are not here to be a force for political change or social activism. Hear me when I say this morning the purpose of this building is not this building. (laughs) We didn't build this because we're here to build. We built this because we are here to carry out the great commission of our Savior Jesus. We rejoice in a special way, but there is a purpose for this building. According to Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, the founder and pastor of the first church, uh, the three-pronged commission is to be our focus for this church and every church of the Lord and every member here has some kind of a role in carrying out these marching orders from our Savior. I'm not personally against churches having purpose statements, but if you are a student of history, one of the things you'll learn is biblical churches didn't have them. We don't have one because this statement has been the purpose of biblical churches all the way since the first century. Matthew 28 verse 19 and 20 is our purpose statement. Jesus wasn't speaking to the world here. He was speaking to his disciples. This was a message from a mountain in Galilee to his people. The world doesn't get to pick the agenda of the church. If the world were picking the agenda of the church, they would tell us that it is our job, first and foremost, to clothe those who are naked, to feed those that are hungry, to enrich those who are poor, but shut up about your message. If the world were picking our agenda. If believing people picked the agenda for the church, some of them would pick fellowship, And others would pick some other secondary purpose instead of picking the primary purpose given to us by Christ himself. Say, Brother Wally, what is the threefold focus of a church that pleases and follows the Lord Jesus Christ as given to us by him? What did Jesus exclusively teach his disciples about the main purpose, the focus he desires from his churches? Here's number one this morning. We are to go with the message that Jesus saves to the world. We are to go with the message that Jesus saves to the world. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Though we are not turning to them this morning, this commission was repeated several times by Jesus following his resurrection. I believe five times. Once it's recorded in each of the four Gospels and then again in the first chapter of the book of Acts. This was to be their focus. In fact, this is still the first part of the focus of churches who would imitate the model for a church that pleases Christ and he most blesses. Listen, you and I have a message. We have a message to tell that the whole world needs needs to hear. There is a Savior. There is a way to be forgiven. Listen, our world understands they're guilty in the sight of a Creator. 
There's a reason that wherever man has found man untouched by those outside of them, they always make a religion and they always come up with some system of sacrifice or doing works to appease that creator. Because in the heart and the conscience of man, man knows he's guilty in the sight of God. The conscience has told every human being of the value of human life. The conscience has told every human being of the sacredness of marriage. The conscience has told every human being of the importance of honesty. The conscience has told every human being that their parents and treating them with respect matters. The conscience has told every human being that the name of our God is to be respected rather than blasphemed. The problem in our world is not that they don't know that they're guilty. The problem is, is in our world, they don't know what to do with their guilt. And they do not understand just how guilty they are in the sight of a thrice holy God. You and I have a message to share with the world, a world who knows they've fallen short of the glory of God because of their sins. Hear me this morning when I say Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. Jesus Christ suffered and died on a cross. Jesus Christ, after three days, rose bodily from the grave. And Jesus Christ offers eternal life to all who would humble themselves and repent and receive Him to trust Him for their salvation. You and I, as disciples of Jesus, as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the gospel. It is not our only message, but hear me when I say it is our most important message. The gospel is not our only message, but it is the first message we are supposed to take to our world. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Listen, if you're here this morning or somewhere within the sound of my voice, uh, if you have never yet humbled yourself to call upon Jesus Christ to be saved, you need to do that. There's no better day than today to do that. In fact, in a few moments, we'll have an invitation and we'll invite you to come to Christ. There's no salvation in the Baptist church or any other church for that matter. Salvation is in Jesus. Listen, it's wonderful to invite people to church. We should do that. It's a privilege to have a place that we not only love enough, but we're proud enough to invite others to come. But the church is supposed to be going with our message. Not just telling it to those who come to us. What a shame that so many of the Lord's churches are focused on getting people to come to them instead of going where the people are with the gospel of Jesus. You know, there's far too many purpose statements of places called church that say nothing about going to our world with the gospel. Let me ask you a question. What would you think of an organization that had $100 billion in their account whose purpose was to give $1 million to any individual who asked, but that organization decided not to tell anyone of what they had available? 
We would think that organization was corrupt. We would think that organization had lost its purpose. And I want to just say to you here this morning, the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is more valuable than $100 billion. And the salvation that God makes available by grace through faith in Jesus Christ to our world is more valuable than a million dollars. What a tragedy that so many churches have these incredible riches in Christ, and yet they keep them all within their walls. Let me ask you, why should God let you live forever? Who or what are you really trusting for your salvation? I hope it doesn't happen, but on your way home today, if there was a bunch of squealing brakes and a loud sound of the twisting and crushing of iron and plastic, and you unexpectedly found yourself outside the golden city of God, and our God leaned over the jasper wall and said, why should I let you into my city? Why should I let you in a place where there's no more cancer, no more death, no more violence, no more injustice? There's no more death, no more aging. Why should I let you live forever with me in such a place as this? If the way you think you'd answer that question is anything else other than I have humbled myself to trust and believe the Lord Jesus Christ. I have no merit, but His merit. The only reason I can be let in is Jesus. If you answer that question, your religion, your baptism, your works, how good of a wife or husband or parent you are, listen, those are fine and dandy, but they will not wash away your sins. Only Jesus can do that. There's a reason we knock on doors. (laughs) There's a reason that every year since we've started, 16 years ago, uh, we do a flyer distribution of the gospel on it. I think over the course of the last 16 years, we've passed out over 300,000 copies of the biblical plan of salvation in our area. There's a reason we have... Backyard Bible clubs at three parks near us. There's a reason we have buses and vans that pick up children. There's a reason we try to have Bible clubs in schools when we have teenagers who are willing to sponsor them. There's a reason we have track racks in our hallway where you can have as many tracks as you want free to pass out copies of the plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. There's a reason we have a website with the gospel and all of our message. There's a reason we have a podcast, Bible Baptist Fairfield, and a YouTube page by Bible Baptist Fairfield with all of our service. And that reason is simply this. You and I have been commanded first and foremost as a church and then as individual Christians participating in the work of Christ. You and I have a command to go into our world with the gospel. And so we go physically and we go electronically. And our message, Jesus saves. I saved this morning. And if you are saved, what are you doing to be your part? I would be ashamed of myself if I was a member of Bible Baptist Church and physically healthy and I did not serve any ministry here. I would be ashamed of myself because it would mean that you're not really doing your part 
in the first part of Christ's commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. I hope this morning you decide to agree with Jesus on the importance of a New Testament church going with the gospel. But being witnesses and going with the message that Jesus saves is not our only focus. Notice also as he continues there in verse 19. Secondly, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Here's a second part of our purpose. Focus, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Notice name is singular. It's just a simple statement about the triune nature of our Creator, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You see, there's something wrong when a church or disciples go with the gospel but do little or no baptism of believers. I love to study history, and I'm well aware that the meaning of baptism has varied greatly over the centuries, but biblical baptism is and always has been by immersion as a symbol of the death and burial of Jesus and resurrection of Jesus after someone believes on Christ. That has always been biblical baptism. That has always been the second part of our focus as a church. You may or may not realize it, but the word baptize is a transliterated word that means to immerse. If you're a Bible student or a Bible reader, you know that every example of baptism in the Bible, someone goes down into the water and comes up out of the water. You don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar to realize that you cannot picture the death and burial of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus sprinkling or pouring water on someone. Biblical baptism is always by immersion as a symbol after someone receives Christ as Savior. Though baptism is not part of some uh, some person's salvation uh, because salvation is a gift of God and not of works. Listen, baptism is an important step in obedience. Listen, just like the church is commissioned to go with the gospel, believers are commanded by Jesus to be baptized, and churches are commanded to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. In fact, tonight, we're going to have a biblical baptism of two young ladies who have trusted Christ as Savior. They have to be aware enough of themselves and of God and what God looks for from us to be able to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's exactly what will happen. In fact, let me ask you, if you've believed, if you've responded to the gospel message, have you obeyed Christ in baptism? Why not? Why wouldn't you do what Christ teaches here? That's a good question. I mean, clearly baptism is an important part of the work of Christ and in his churches because it's part of the Great Commission. I know, I know, in 2022, a lot of people have downplayed the importance of this and say, oh, well, that's a secondary issue. How can it be a secondary issue if it's a second part of the focus of Jesus' churches? Regardless of some abusing it, biblical baptism is important for a true Christian and an important ordinance of the church. So if you're here this morning and you're saved, have you ever obeyed Christ in baptism? If not, why not? By the way, I hope this morning you decide to agree with Jesus 
about the importance of biblical baptism of believers in Christ. But baptizing those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't complete Christ's commission. There's more for our focus. Verse 20. And thirdly, and lastly this morning, he says in verse 20, the third part of that is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The third part of the commission is to teach believers the things that Jesus taught. Now, most people have found the easiest part of this commission to go with the gospel, to knock on doors, to pass out tracts, to do those kinds of things. Others have found it easy to baptize those who believe or to obey Christ in baptism because that is easier than the third part of this commission and I believe the hardest part of the commission which is to teach believers what Jesus taught us. Please hear me when I say this is more than just teaching them to uh, go with the gospel and obey Christ in baptism. This is teaching them what Christ taught us. Listen, Jesus taught much more than how to be saved and obey him in baptism. It takes time to teach people what Jesus taught. It takes patience. It takes you taking the time to learn what he taught. You can't teach what you don't know. The the average person sitting in a church somewhere today, you, you give them a piece of paper and say, write down five things Jesus told us to do. And the average person, they, they couldn't even do that. And you wonder why we have a world that is perishing in ignorance of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, what Jesus taught the world and His disciples affect every area of our life. He intended to impact people. Not just as fire insurance when they die. Jesus intended to impact people while they live. Listen, there is a way Jesus wants you to live as a husband. There's a way Jesus wants you to live as a wife. There's a way that Jesus wants you to live as a child in the home of your parents. There's a way Jesus wants you to conduct yourself in your workplace, in your school. There's a way He wants us to think and believe. Listen, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, it deeply impacts us. Some things Jesus said are easy to hear and easy to understand. Other things He said are hard to hear, and some are even hard to understand. Go back a few pages to Matthew chapter 16. I don't know how much of a student of history you are, but um, my three favorite subjects to study are number one, Christian history, Uh, number two, the Bible version issue, which is a link to Christian history of sorts, and number three, creation science. I love reading about those things. If I was going to make an observation about the battle in Christianity 70 to 100 years ago, I would say the battle was over the gospel. Is Jesus of Nazareth the Son of God? Is the Bible the Word of God? Are the miracles real? 70 and 100 years ago. Biblical people stood up and they fought those battles and won those. And so that by and large, Christianity of most sorts stayed true to the gospel. But I don't believe that's the battle today. I believe the battle today is what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Here's the question. And this is the battle of 2022. 
Is being a disciple of Jesus cool and casual? Is it I sit up here in a stool and and skinny jeans with tears in my pants that aren't torn because of wearing? To give you a little lecture, because Christianity is cool and casual and you're supposed to be living your best life now and you're supposed to right now make all the money you can so you can quote, give generously later. Is that what it means to be a disciple? Or to be a disciple of Jesus, is it difficult, rigorous, demanding, and at times really hard? Let's see what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 16. By the way, I'm just teaching you what Jesus taught his disciples. That's why we're here. So I'm not going to come back if you're going to be like this. Listen, anybody that doesn't like the preaching and teaching of the Bible, they don't come back. Listen, over the course of the last uh, 16 and a half years, we have like 6,700 and some first-time visitors. We have averaged for 16 and a half years uh, 7.8 first-time visitors per week. In 16 and a half years, we have 11 weeks when we didn't have at least one, and five of those were during COVID. Say, Brother Walla, do you like it when people come and leave? Of course not. I'm not here to tell you what I have to say about being a disciple. Let's see what Jesus has to say about being a disciple. Is it cool and casual? Should I be up here sitting on a school, a stool in skinny jeans with an Aerosmith t-shirt? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples. So who's Jesus talking to? All right. Then said Jesus unto his disciples... If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Notice Jesus did not say deny himself and take up my cross. There's a cross that was planned for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has a cross planned for every disciple. It's not your job to take up Jesus' cross. It's not your job to take up my cross. It's your job to take up the cross Jesus has for you. Because when you decide that discipleship is a cross, rather than a casual endeavor you do for an hour each week, to go do it the, what you want the rest of the time, you're going to begin to understand what Jesus taught his disciples. I am not proud of the fact that I was not saved when I was 24 years old. I did a lot of things. I lived in a fraternity house for four years. It was not a good place to be. To my knowledge, I never heard the gospel. To my knowledge. By the grace of God, I was blessed with, during that time, what the world would call success. 
I don't say this bragging. I was the president of my college at the University of Toledo. Shameful as it sounds, I was the captain of the cheerleaders there too. I know, isn't that weird? Got to travel all around the country. Man, you can't get any closer to a game than that. You say, well, them girls are pretty. Yeah, but most of them are mean. Can, can I say, I have never been more alive and satisfied with life than I've been blessed to be when I picked up the cross Jesus had for me as his disciple. It would have been good in some ways just to keep being a plastics engineer. But I never did for my heart what I'm doing this morning does for my heart. Can I just say, you will never really live until you take up the cross Christ has for you as his disciple. I really, I feel sorry for members of Bible Baptist Church that don't serve or work. I do. Do you know who had a lot of joy on Thursday night? Them 70 people just carrying stuff around, mopping the floor for the 10th time because of all the drywall dust? I feel bad for, for you. I do. Because there's nothing better than the joy and satisfaction of knowing Christ and doing whatever it is he's asked you to do. That is our focus. Go with the message that Jesus saves. Baptize those who have believed and teach anybody who will listen what Jesus taught us. Everything else is secondary. Say, Brother Wally, now that we're in this new building and the entrance foyer looks like uh, it was professionally done and is as nice as anywhere you'd walk in. Amen. See, it, it, what, what's going to change? Nothing. Amen. Because Christ told us what we're supposed to do. Whether we're sitting in a union hall with a bunch of odor eaters to get the smoke out of there. Or whether we're sitting in a place like this, that you just have to sit back and say glory to God. Amen. This is our focus. If you quietly stand.